can God feel my pain? There is a verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, which says, They have no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Meaning that whatever has happened to you has happened to someone else, perhaps on the other side of the globe. Because of our human weakness, it is easy for us to lapse into the thinking, why is this happening to me and to no one else? But the Bible is clear. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, whatever you are experiencing now, someone has already experienced that or is now experiencing it with you. Can God be among those who understand in detail what you and I go through from day to day or what perhaps you are going through because of some particular set of circumstances? Jesus, we understand, came down and lived as a human being. And this is a stupendous mystery that Christ would come in the flesh. We're told in Galatians chapter 4 verse 4, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, verse 5, to redeem them that were under the law. Christ came where we were to save us. Now, how was that possible? God is not a God who is caught by surprises Circumstances cannot ambush God. He is always prepared. He knows the beginning from the end. When God and the other members of the Godhead contemplated making man, this world, a plan was put in place that if these created beings should sin, Jesus Christ, who was not called Jesus Christ then, just a second member of the Godhead, he would come as one of his created beings and die, and by so doing, pay the penalty for sin, which has always been and remains death. In devising this plan, there are two hurdles, possibly among others, but two, I will stress that God had to get over two problems the Godhead had to solve in order to provide a plan of salvation that could work. The two problems were, in order to save fallen man, sinful man, who having sinned would come under the curse of death, the God who came would have to be in a position to experience temptation and death. Let me say that again, differently. For God to be a suitable Savior, He had to put Himself in a position where He, like His fallen creatures, could experience and feel what it meant to be tempted. And then ultimately, to put himself in a position to die and taste death. Why were those two things two problems? Well, very simply, 
Because God cannot be tempted and God cannot die. Let's examine these two realities about God. James chapter 1, reading from verse 13. God is not a man that he should lie. No, that's the wrong verse. It, let no man say when he's tempted, I am tempted of God. God never tempts, by the way. Never blame God for the weaknesses in our lives. Let no man say when he's tempted, I am tempted of the Lord. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. God cannot be tempted, and God does not tempt you. Now, when we see the word tempt in the Bible in the context of God's activities, what that word means is God is testing or trying. And we find that in Genesis 22, verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and offering up for a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. God tested, not tempted Abraham to sin. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. That's one reason for me right now publicly to declare God innocent of any wrongdoing in your life or mine. God does not lead us into evil. He cannot do that. It is not a part of his makeup. He does not do it. There is another power that does it with our cooperation. Because the devil cannot lead you into sin unless you and I cooperate. Let me say that again. There's a saying that was popular many years ago. The devil made me do it. The devil has no power to make us sin. He has the power to tempt. We have the freedom to go along. But he cannot make you sin and he cannot make me sin. He tempts. We have to decide to follow the temptation. Now God cannot tempt you. He does not tempt you. And he cannot be tempted himself. That's one problem. Problem number two. God cannot die because God is eternal God is everlasting Psalm 90 reading from verse 1 thou Lord thou hast been our habitation our dwelling place from all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever thou hadst made the earth or the world even from everlasting to everlasting thou art God everlasting to everlasting psalm 93 verse 2 thy throne is established of old thou art from everlasting habakkuk 112 art thou not from everlasting O lord my god mine holy one god is everlasting jesus john 17 verse 5 and now O father glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which i had with thee before the world was an expression meaning from everlasting from eternity jesus has always been there because jesus is as much god as the father is god that's why we're told in revelation 22 verse 1 and he showed me a pure river of water of life proceeding out of the throne of god and of the lamb Revelation 22 verse 3, And there shall be no more curse, for the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. God has a throne, the Son has a throne, they 
are equal. Revelation 3 verse 21, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and I'm set down with my father on his throne. Father has a throne, son has a throne. They're equal because the son is equal with the father. The father is eternal, the son is eternal. Isaiah 9 verse 6, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government of the people shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called the mighty God, the everlasting Father. Everlasting Father is one of his names. That's Jesus Christ. God cannot be tempted. God cannot die. How then could he come and be our Savior? How could he understand when we are tempted all our temptations without exception the bible says in hebrews 4 verse 15 for we have not such an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but we're in all points tempted like as we are christ's incarnation is a mystery whatever else the mystery may contain understand this point clearly there is no temptation you can experience with which Christ cannot identify. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. In order to solve the problem of the inability of God to be tempted, and the fact that God being God cannot die, the solution was for Christ, or the second member of the Godhead, to come as one of us. As a human being, what does it mean to come as a human being as we continue, can God feel my pain? Before Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, he did visit this earth as a human being. In Genesis 18, reading from verse 1, the Bible says, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. And said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let little water, I pray you, be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the trees. And I will fetch a morsel of bread, and comfort ye your heart. After that ye shall pass on, for therefore are ye come to your servant. Now, Abraham was talking to three men. Christ was one, the other two were angels he did not know. At that point, he did not know. He simply saw three human beings and the power and the laws of hospitality that operated in his day drove him to urge them, come to my tent. And verse 5 ends with the men saying, and they said unto him, so do as thou hast said. In other words, go prepare something for us to eat. This is the second member of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, and two angels. Now look at verse 6. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, Quick, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and bake cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran unto the herd and fetched a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man, and he hasted to dress it. And verse 8 tells us, And he took butter and milk and the calf which he addressed and set it before them, Christ and two angels. He set milk, butter, and mutton. And he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. 
human beings eat. They drink milk. Now, let's jump all the way to uh, Luke chapter 24 and see another interesting example of God eating. This is Jesus after he rose from the grave. Luke 24, reading from verse 36. As we continue, can God feel my pain? And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled, and why do thoughts arise in your heart? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and blood as ye see me have, or flesh and bones. That's what Jesus said to them. Prove that I am real. Prove that I am physical like you. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? Meaning any food. He was setting out to prove he was still human. Yes, glorified, but still human. He was establishing his physical humanity as different from a ghost, which they thought he was. And he tried to prove it, not only by showing the scars, but by eating. Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish. Another honeycomb, verse 43 says, And he took it and did eat it before them, meaning in their presence, that they may see him eat and so be convinced that he was physical and not a ghost. Here we have Jesus Christ before he was incarnated eating food in Genesis 18 as a human being. Here we have him eating food in Luke 24 as a resurrected human being. But the appearance of Jesus Christ in Genesis 18 was not an incarnation. Are you listening to me? Please listen and pray for me. This is sensitive. I cannot afford to say one wrong word. The appearance of Jesus Christ as a human being in the flesh, sitting under a tree, drinking milk, putting some butter on bread, eating some mutton. That was the second member of the Godhead functioning as a human being, but that was not the incarnation. The incarnation which was required for God to be a suitable savior, suitable in the sense that he could be tempted and he could suffer death. It required not just appearing as a human being, it required the incarnation meaning. That the appearance of Christ in Genesis 18 was not enough. He had to come in the New Testament now, not simply and appear as a human being, but he had to enter the genetic stream of inheritance. Are you following me? He had to come the way we all come. And that is by conception by birth and by development. Bringing with him what he inherited from his human mother, Mary. This now was the incarnation, not his appearance in Genesis 18, even though back then he did eat like a human being and he sat on a tree and he drank milk. That's what human beings do, not spirits. But it was not the incarnation. The incarnation took place in Bethlehem. Well, long before Bethlehem, when Mary was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Why? Because when Jesus came as a human being, 
and he wasn't called Jesus in the Old Testament, when he came with two angels to supervise the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he sat at Abraham's tent, Christ and two angels, in that state, Jesus could not have functioned as someone to be tempted and someone to die. Because he did not inherit anything genetically, having not come then through the normal process. But in the New Testament, he came through the process of conception and birth. That way, he inherited from Mary all that is human. He inherited the apparatus to feel temptation and the human weakness to die. So Jesus came as you and I come, or as we came. His mother carried him for nine months, delivered him in a, a, a stable, a manger, like we're delivered in hospital rooms or at the supervision of a midwife. And he grew, and he grew, as we have grown and perhaps are still growing. And Jesus, as a human being, he was tempted more severely than you and I could ever be tempted. People sometimes say that because Jesus was also God, which he was, that's part of the mystery, that he had an advantage in the battle with temptation. He had none. As a matter of fact, he had it worse than you and I have it. Because within Jesus was a power natural to himself, which he could have used to deal with the devil, but he resisted the overpowering temptation to use it. He knew he had that power. Would not use it. You and I do not have that naturally. Jesus, the Bible says, was tempted, and I want you to believe that. You nor I can unravel all the mysteries of the incarnation. But there is no mystery in believing and accepting that Jesus was tempted as we are tempted. His temptations, he fell in his body, in his flesh. Adam was tempted from without because he was made with a sinless nature. There was nothing in him to which the devil could appeal. Jesus was tempted from within and without. So when you are pressured, you can go to Christ and I can go to Christ literally and say, Father, the power you gave to your son, give to me. Lord, understand what I am going through. And Jesus understands. That's why he can be a merciful high priest because he went through it. This means that you and I are never alone in our trials and tribulations and our, our tempests and our torments. We are never alone because Jesus absolutely understands. Your mother may not understand. Your spouse may not understand. Jesus understands. Because he was one of us. And let me tell you, he remains one of us. Glorified, yes. But Jesus remains human up to this day. Still God, also human, still carrying the scars. When he rose from that grave triumphant over death, Hell, the devil, sin, all that is from the world of darkness, 
Jesus proved who he was to the disciples by having them look at his hands. The resurrected Jesus still had the scars, even though he had a glorified body. And he could do things after the resurrection he couldn't do before. So he could appear in a room and disappear. By the way, let me throw this in. We shall be able to do the same thing. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus, who shall change our vile bodies to His glorified body. The body He had when He rose is the body we will have when we are made incorruptible when we go from mortal to immortal but for now the trials and the struggles that we encounter jesus christ understands let's go to hebrews chapter 2 and see the extent to which the bible wants us to understand that jesus can sympathize not look at our trials as though he's looking at people in a museum and saying oh my what an unfortunate person no he identifies Hebrews 2 verse 9, the Bible says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Now, Hebrews 2 9 says, We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Let's go and see how people were made. Psalms chapter 8, reading from verse 3, When I consider thy heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. That's how the Bible describes the creation of man. That's how Hebrews describes the making of Christ. We were both made a little lower than the angels. Notice verse 9 says, For the suffering of death. You see, as God, He could not die. He had to be made like us in order that He for us might pay the price of death, the penalty, and the, the price of sin. And that, of course, is death. The second death. Verse 10, for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he that sanctifieth, that's Jesus Christ, and they who are sanctified are all of one. For this cause, he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Now, there are some families that have members in them of whom they are ashamed. In your family, perhaps you have an uncle who sells drugs. And you don't want the world to know he's a member of the family. Keep him up a distance. Or perhaps there's somebody else who did something that brings or brought disgrace on the family. And you may try to distance yourself. The Bible says, Jesus and we are so closely linked that he is not ashamed to call us. Vile as we are, he is not ashamed to call us brethren, not aliens, not Martians from another planet, brethren, members of the same human family. Verse 14, Hebrews 2, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Let me repeat that verse. For as much then as the children, meaning humanity, 
are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Whatever you understand about Christ coming as a human being, understand this. There is no weakness you have that Jesus Christ cannot understand. And I want you to leave believing that in your heart. There is someone in the universe who understands me. One of the great frustrations we have is that no one understands. Not the teacher, not our friends, not our girlfriend, not our loved ones. No one understands. Wrong. Jesus understands. Why? Because he came as one of us. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus Christ took on the devil. You see, our greatest fear is the fear of death. And our greatest enemy is the devil. Jesus took on both of them. He took on the devil in life. So Matthew chapter 4, reading from verse 1 says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And after he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came unto him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Temptation. Jesus met him at his weakest and triumphed through the power of the Father, mediated to him through the Word. The devil tempted him and tempted him and tempted him, tried to destroy him. Jesus met the devil's worst temptations and he triumphed. And by his triumph, he says to me, he says, Randy, you don't have to fall. Because the power that kept me upright is the same power my father has available to you if you will trust him as I trusted him. Having overcome the devil's worst temptations, Jesus demonstrated in human form, dependent on God. Not human form alone, but humanity dependent on divinity. Did you get that? You and I cannot take on the devil simply as human beings. We must do it as human beings holding on to the divine arm. That's the formula for success. Jesus demonstrated that in his life. And so I say to you and to myself, Jesus demonstrated it is possible to overcome temptation if we, as he did, will meet the devil holding on to the arm of the everlasting Father. Having done that, Jesus died. Submitted himself to death. Because he said in John 10, 18, No man taketh it from me. I have power to lay down, and I have power to take it again. He submitted himself to death. The earthly powers did everything possible to keep Jesus dead. Matthew 27, reading from verse 62, the Bible says, Now the next day following the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said, when he was yet alive, after three days, I will rise again. Now, they're trying to make plans to keep him in the grave. 
Verse 64, command therefore that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest the disciples come by night and steal his body and say to the people, he's risen from the dead, so the last error is worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, ye have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as you can. And that passage ends by saying, and they went and set a seal, set a watch. They sealed the tomb, set a watch. That's all they could have done. They went to the limit to keep Christ in the grave. They made it sure. Set a seal and set a watch. The seal meant, don't touch, don't trouble, watch within. The seal meant that our determination to keep him in the grave cannot be changed. The same thing happened to Daniel in Daniel 6 verse 17. When he was put in the lion's den, the Bible says, and a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel, that he would suffer what they intended him to suffer. The sealing meant, no change of our intention for this man they sealed that tomb but jesus came up victorious over death despite all the earthly attempts to keep him dead because the father wanted him up and he had within himself the power and i've spoken about this to raise himself he came up he says he is the resurrection and the life. And in John 14, he said, because I live, ye shall live also. Meaning that because Jesus came back from the dead, we through faith in him will also come back from the dead if we die before Jesus Christ comes. Can God feel your pain? Yes. We're told in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 16, For verily he took not on him the nature of angels. Jesus didn't come as an angel. But he took on him the form of Abraham or the seed of Abraham. He came as one of us, I must repeat. Wherefore, in all things it behoved him to be made like all to his brethren. Wherefore, verse 17, Hebrews 2, Wherefore, in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren. His brethren are you and I. That he might be a merciful. Why merciful? Because he understands. And faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. To make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted. He is able to succor them that are tempted. That's us. Read Hebrews 2.18 again. For in that he himself has suffered. The only way to suffer from a temptation is to resist it. The moment you yield, the suffering is gone. That's why none of us can feel what Jesus felt. Because he resisted. And when you resist, the devil turns up the heat. And Jesus resisted. And the devil turned up the heat. We fall. And then we say Jesus had an edge. If he had an edge, the edge is available to us. We just don't use it. In that he himself hath suffered. Let me tell you something. The Bible never said that living a right life is all peaches and cream. The peaches and cream, they are coming. Come on, say amen. They are coming. 
We will live in a world remade, perfect. No sin. No temptation. No revivals. We live in a state of permanent restoration. But until that day, here we suffer. And when we decide to honor God and resist temptation, we will feel it. And when the devil realizes it is your determination to glorify God, he will intensify the temptation. And then your suffering intensifies. But you must compare your suffering with the glories which are to come. So Paul says in Romans chapter 8 verse 17, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Is it worth it to say no to temptation now that I might live with Christ? Yes. We must have something to compare temptations with. The suffering now, the glories to come. Because if we yield now as a matter of lifestyle, what's coming after that is a million times worse than this. Can Jesus feel your pain? Answer that question with me. Yes. Let me tell you something very simple. And I'm putting up the book. It's 12 minutes to 1. Practice the habit of going to Jesus as if you're going to someone sitting right across from you. Do that. And I deliberately say practice the habit. Something goes wrong, just find a little corner closet somewhere. Or as I like to do, I like to go to bathrooms at home. I, my bathroom is my prayer room. That seat there is my altar. So I like to do my praying. No one disturbs you. And then talk to God as if you can see Him. Talk to Him as if He's next to you because He is in the person of His Spirit. And talk to Him with Christ as your representative. God will give you the power you need to resist every temptation as you cooperate with Him by avoiding tempting situations. Come on, somebody say Amen. Don't jump into quicksand and say, Lord, get me out. God has given us common sense to avoid the quicksand. If we come across something, Father, help me. He helps us. Spiritual success is the combination of the human effort and divine power. Jesus feels what you feel where you sit. How many of you will say, Father, I thank you for sending Christ, who now is my high priest, can sympathize with me. Can I see your hands? Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed, Father in heaven, we cannot fully appreciate the beauty, the value, the depth of the gift of Christ, who even though He is God, exalted and mighty, He understands our weaknesses and He has power available for us to overcome. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, open our eyes that we may understand this reality, that it may strengthen us, that the devil may know that now he has in us a formidable foe. We have power to resist. We have someone who understands. Bring us back tonight when your manservant will say more on this subject. Grant traveling mercies to your people. Bless their studies, their health, their families, their finances. And save us when you come in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.